We don't play the social game. We are social. Power 98.5. You're listening to Power 98.5, powered by United Angels Dream, your number one resource for public relations, entertainment, and multimedia. Contact them today at unitedangelsdream.com. Prepare yourself. Okay, let's go. Hi, this is Dan Aykroyd. He's progressive. He's beautiful. He's thoughtful. He's intelligent. He's powerful. He's positive. He is Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. Aha, 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 aha. Oh, yeah. Boy, oh, boy. Yeah. Let me tell you something. The messages, the emails. Listen, I'm I'm about ready to jump out of my skin because the support live on air with Stephen Cook on Power 98.5. I have my friend, Robert Grigore. And he's here with us today. Uh, If anyone has any questions, send them over to me. I will be interviewing interviewing him again very, very soon. This isn't going to be the first or the last time I'm going to be interviewing Robert. But this is what's very interesting. Uh, Some people have been asking um, the celebrity savior. And you know what? All good remarks. And what's very interesting is Danette and I'm and Robert, I know you shared this with me. And, and Danette, please forgive me if I um, pronunciate or mispronunciate your last name. Uh, Kumbunda, Danette Kumbunda, she's a two time Emmy Award winning television producer. Uh, she did Christina's Court from 2009 to 2010. She was Oprah Winfrey's former producer. And she's been featured all over the place. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. She dubbed him the celebrity savior. And we're going to get into why she dubbed him that. And she's not the only one. There's been many others. So we're going to get down. We're going to get into it. We're going to be having real talk, real time with the celebrity savior, Robert Grigor. Good morning. How are you, Good Robert? Good morning, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Really grateful to be here. <laughs> Seriously, the response, the the interest, especially from that wonderful, wonderful uh, creative uh, promo that you made with my photo, absolutely love it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like going to be so awesome. I'm going to be sharing and using this as well. So thank you, Robert, for the promo and uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. I also want to let everyone know that I have worked with Robert and the, the results, I'm going to tell you, sometimes you need just a little bit. Sometimes you need a lot. Uh, what Robert has done is he gave to me, gifted to me, a very safe place, space to express myself Uh, to feel very comfortable and let me highlight safe 
in capital letters here, safe to express to know that there isn't any judgment. And as someone who worked um, as a grief counselor myself, um, it's it was very, very... Um, I'm looking for the words uh, to understand, to, to be someone that understand Robert's industry. It's not so easy, at least for me, to go into what may seem or feel like a counseling session or a therapy session. However, it worked. And it's been a very, very long time uh, before I was able to sit down with anyone in a way that I was able to with Robert and having to go to Canada. Um, We all know where travel is at right now, but it's definitely worth the trip. Uh, But to work with someone who is very, very well established across the board internationally to work with people who are struggling with anxiety, emotional suffering, relationship problems, addiction, depression, trauma. For me, uh, you know, you guys saw my Irish store uh, videos, um, you know, helping with, you know, restoration of hair. It was stress. Um, it was things I didn't face in the past. It, were, it was things that um, I ran from, to be quite honest. Um, not that I was ashamed of who I was, where I came from. I loved my biological family very, very much. Um, I loved also the idea of what I wished my family could have been before I was adopted. Yet, I did find that there were things of my past that I did not want to be associated with, Uh, you know, uh, things of, you know, to be very transparent and it's nothing I would normally share, but my half biological brother and sister, um, my sister, uh, I know nothing about her. Uh, My mother gave her up for adoption to my aunt uh, when she was a baby. I remember we were in Belvedere, New Jersey. And my mother had, uh, you know, um, how do I, I'm, I'm trying to look for not the right thing to say, but in a way to, to say it in all honesty, uh, my mother did not want a second child or another child, third child, I'm sorry, because my sister's the youngest. And she uh, gave up my sister for a bottle of pills. And I remember sitting in the courthouse and my sister was in the stroller and uh, my mother was like, you got him, you got him. And my aunt was like, yes, she, she was like, calm down. And she's like, you know, she, my mother was a stone cold addict. Um, and I remember, you know, they went to the bathroom and, you know, my mother got my pill, uh, you know, got her pills for my sister. And I had to sit there with my sister and I don't know where my stepdad went at the time. Um, my brother, um, I raised him. When he was, you know, I was five years old at the time. I was taking care of a newborn while my family struggled with, you know, addiction, drug addiction. My mother had a severe heroin addiction at that time as well. Um, She consistently passed out. I had to learn how to feed my brother, dress my brother, five years old. Um, uh, You know, change a diaper, uh, how to keep him out of harm's way. Like you're five years old. You don't want to be and shouldn't have to be taking care of a newborn. And, um, you know, unfortunately he fell into the same pattern. And, um, as 
our mother and some of the other family members, and he couldn't keep his ass out of jail by the time he was 14 years old. Um, and these are all things I didn't want to be associated with. These were behaviors and situations that I thought that I would be judged for and looked at as, um, you know, someone that may not have worth because I believed that they were going to be a reflection or tarnish who I was, even though I was adopted and raised by a wonderful family. And these are all things that Robert is aware of. It was very difficult, very, very difficult. And so with that, uh, Robert, I'm going to let you take the mic and, uh, you know, share with us what's going on in your life to explain to us more of what the celebrity savior means, how you have adopted that, how you can share that with people, uh, to understand why and how you were recognized in such a way. And we're going to go even further in what you're doing with celebrities and people in the industry, um, in entertainment and across the board. You've got a lot of connections, a lot of resources of those that are coming to you, very supportive of what you're doing, understand and really look at what you're doing isn't so traditional, but yet it just makes sense but yet it may be traditional, but people are not familiar with uh, EMDR. Uh, Steven, uh, can I cry on the air with you? You can do whatever you want. This is your time, my friend. <laughs> I, I just want to thank, you know, thank you so, so much for everything. Everything that you've just said right now is, is just incredible. You know, the transparency uh, to share with everyone. And, and, you know, you're talking about the space that uh, we created together in a therapy uh, setting, but you're doing it right now with me, a safe space and a trust. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, so, so you asked about the, the celebrity savior and what that means and, um, and really where that, where that's from. And, uh, you know, the, from my account, um, I, I've counted 150 celebrity suicides in the last decade. And um, to me, I look at, you know, celebrities as our role models. These are our real leaders. And I've been an artistic kid my throughout my childhood. And uh, I struggled with many things as, as well, uh, different things than you did. But, but I, I, I struggled with shame and um, anxiety, depression, addiction uh, from a very early age. And um, I used to sit in front of the TV and watch movie after movie after movie with, uh, you know, my, the, the greats like Robin Williams, who, who brought me through so many difficult times, Jim Carrey, um, he's still living, but, uh, you know, so many, so many people that, that I had no idea were actually struggling in their lives when I was uh, a boy and they created the safe space for me to escape. And then, you know, as they have been going through, you know, the last decade and two decades and hearing about all the, all these wonderful, incredible people um, that are ending up uh, losing their lives, either, uh, through their own actions, uh, consciously or unconsciously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, 
it's just been such a such a, a necessity for me to to, to want to help. Um, and uh, you know, it just sort of happened by by accident that I started working with celebrities. They ended up in my in my uh, my office, and um, there's a funny there's a funny story um, about uh, a cele- a media celebrity. I can't share the name, but uh, confidentiality for me is really important. Uh, as you can imagine, but uh, she came in and uh, she asked me, uh, I'll, I'll call her Sandra for the interview. And she, Sandra says, Hey Robert, can you help me uh, work through my addiction? I, I can't get on the air without doing a shot. And I got to take these pills. And, and I said, well, of course, sure. Let's, let's, let's do it. Uh, at the time I had become a little bit well known for EMDR. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, and uh, here in Vancouver, and so I was the person to go to. So she came to me and um, I did the same standard interview the very first session like I would with anybody. And uh, she comes in and she sits down and, you know, we do the pleasantries. And then um, three quarters of the way into the session, she gets up and she says, Robert, I don't think you can help me anymore. And she walks out. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that, that happened in real life? I can't believe that just happened. So obviously fell flat on my face on that one. And I thought, wow, I need to find a way how to help people way faster because, um, you know, this being, a, you know, it could be a, a six-month, eight-month process. Uh, I need to do this ASAP because people that are high profile, that have high, um, high-intensity needs, um, they don't have six months, eight months, two years to spend in therapy. And uh, that's a long process. So. Uh, the way that I work now is really quick, and we're talking a weekend, uh, sometimes even less than that, to, to pull people through and, and to break them through into their true authentic self. Uh, so, but yeah, so I, I always thank that that particular celebrity for lighting a fire under me so that I could actually do what I'm doing now. Um, but uh, it's certainly something that that I've wanted to do to be able to help. You know, these are these are people that. Um, and celebrities, when I, when I say celebrities, not just artists or musicians, I'm thinking, you know, entrepreneurs, um, athletes, CEOs, these are all people that are high uh, profile, uh, that are high performers. And, uh, you know, oftentimes, even though they have access to what seems like unlimited resources, it's, uh, you still hear them struggle and then you still see them showing up in the news. Um, you know, destroying their, um, who knows, reputations, or you just you just see some things that really hurt um, and to to read about. So I wanted to do my part to 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 help them. What do you believe, Robert? Is the most uh, what? Let me rephrase. I know where I'm going with this. Across the board is what you've shared. Is there, even when it came to working with me, is there a root underlying emotion, um, behavior, mindset, thought? Is there something that everyone shares that you commonly see 
even before you work with them? Is there something that you sense, you understand when the questionnaires are filled out? Is there something that everyone shares before working with you that helps you to understand exactly where the trajectory of this session, the experience, uh, they're, they're building the relationship with your clients is going to go? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I would say that there's, there isn't exactly one, but there's a, there's a few uh, particular core beliefs. Um, so if we can boil everything down, um, all the stress that someone's experiencing right now in their lives uh, is, is because of a, a root cause of traumatic experiences or negative experiences even um, that put together created a particular storyline, a narrative in that person's mind about themselves. And the, although nobody's the same, everybody's unique, we as human beings share some commonalities. We all want to be uh, worthy of love. We all want to know that we matter. We all want to be able to uh, be validated, seen, and heard. Um, we all want to be able to to feel positively about ourselves um, and contribute to the world in some positive way. And um, if you really look at it, the, the, the core feeling that causes so much distress in the world is fear, period, full stop, it's fear. And what the fear is about is something like, well, I'm afraid that I don't matter. I'm afraid that I'll fail. I'm afraid that I will not be worthy of love. I'm afraid that I'm going to be seen as an imposter. I'm afraid that um, I'm going to burn it all down once I become uh, successful, rich and famous or whatever. Um, and so you have these belief systems that are causing so much havoc. And by asking the right questions during the interview, I get to determine what exactly is that core negative belief. And that's what I do right off the bat with anybody who's interested in working with me is we're going to find out what that core negative belief is. And sometimes it's as, it's as core as the right to live. I don't feel that I deserve life. How can you go and do and be happy in the world and do amazing things if you don't believe that you even have the right to live? Mm. Mm -hmm. So this is about someone's existence. It's on the line. This is why I'm so passionate to help um, our, you know, help everybody. But I'm only one person, so I focus on our creative leaders who I think really have such a massive following of people that that follow what they, their, their, their missions, their values, their opinions, their experiences. And uh, so it's, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. But yeah, those are the cores uh, that I need to matter. I need to know that I'm loved. I need to know that I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm free to live. Um, these are some of the core issues that people struggle with. And that's just across the board that you believe, um, no matter who someone is, correct? Where, where background yep. you come from. Yeah. 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 These, these are, so EMDR, um, stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is obviously a mouthful. So, uh, EMDR, EMDR has been around for over 30 years. Um, and there's been loads and loads and loads of studies, um, at, across the world, all over the world internationally. 
Um, and uh, regardless of the culture, regardless of um, the language that that's spoken, these are core human um, desires. And of course, depending on a particular culture, it's going to show up maybe a little bit differently. Um, like maybe you have to matter within the family name. Uh, you have to matter within the family business. Like, but across the board, people want to know that they matter and they're loved, et cetera. So, yeah, hopefully that answers that question for you. Uh, I believe you would remember this because um, you do have an exceptional memory. I sometimes <laughs> <laughs> uh, I shared with you that when I was younger, um, my counselor or therapist had recommended uh, to my parents to do EMDR, and uh, my mother was receptive of it. Um, the reputation or the idea of what EMDR has changed since I was a child, which I'm very surprised by is how open and receptive, especially since my mother did work in a medical community. She was a nurse. Um, uh, it, it doesn't seem as time has gone by and as I've gotten older that this is really recognized or talked about as much as it should be. I will say to everyone that is tuning in, is listening, live on air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 with uh, the, um, the, <laughs> the celebrity savior. I wanted to say that with passion and zest, uh, Robert Gregor. Um, you really have to be in the mindset of really wanting to heal. And as I had shared with you, Robert, I had... Uh, pulled myself out of working in uh, the health industry, um, in the field, because I found with working with, with the clients that I had, they had the idea that they wanted to be helped and the idea that they wanted to live in peace and to be free of the emotional, mental disease, especially then, as you know, it goes right into causing physical disease. Um, mm -hmm. You have to want it. And as a kid or as a child, I understood it. I allowed it to work to a certain point. And then I got to a place to where I chose and made a decision that um, I either can do it myself or I can do, do, you know, help myself in a different way better. But really, I made the decision that I did not believe and feel comfortable that I wanted to address the problem. And that's why I stopped it. That's why I, I you know, encouraged my mother to stop the counseling when I was younger, to stop um, uh, the EMDR treatments when I was younger. Uh, the, the doctor was very, very nice, gave information and my mom information and techniques that if you know, to do at home treatments, but I didn't keep up with it because I didn't, I just didn't want to face the shit. And when you came into my life, I was ready. So with that, um, do you find with the people that you work with and with emphasizing, uh, to them, the seriousness of the commitment that is needed, that they have to be willing to release the control 
and to trust and to really search themselves to know and to believe that they are ready to heal. A wonderful point. Absolutely wonderful point. Um, you know, you've, you've heard that, that saying that, you know, um, you can only change when you're ready. And that, that, that is the truth. You have to be ready um, for any kind of endeavor to be successful. Um, but, it, you know, the, the, the depth of where we go and the way that I work is, is very, very deep. And uh, for many people, it can be very intense. So uh, I know that I spend some time talking about the, the potential uh, changes that are going to happen for somebody. Um, and these are actually not just the positive changes, even though your life transforms, uh, you know, tremendously, um, people sometimes are afraid to change because they're afraid of what's going to happen once they do change. And that's actually something that, you know, a lot of therapists, um, I, I, I think miss and, uh, something that I've made a real point of, of emphasizing that, you know, when you lose this, let's say addiction, um, what are you going to, what's your life going to be like? What are you going to be losing um, when you change positively? And, you know, nine times out of 10, that, that, that is embraced, you know, the family cultures improve, let's say. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the person has to go through this transformation. And so we'll spend some time on what that's actually going to be like. Um, and, you know, for the, the human mind can only go um, as far as it's ready for. You mentioned being you're ready this time uh, to go deeper. And so, you're, you know, that, that's a little, I, I like to call that safety break. Uh, it's a little caveat that even if you get into a particular type of treatment, uh, whatever it might be, your brain's going to go only as far as it thinks it can handle. Um, and obviously, the right therapist has to be, uh, as a key element too, because sometimes, um, you know, the, somebody could not really know exactly what they're doing and how to handle and keep that, that space safe. Um, but I, I believe that when people finally, uh, reach me and, you know, I, unfortunately sometimes people I've heard they've spent 20, 30, 40 years struggling with, um, a particular ailment, whatever that may be. Um, and building up, I shouldn't really say unfortunate because I believe everything um, happening for a reason for people and are building the proper foundation uh, to be ready for this process. So uh, you're absolutely right. Readiness is a huge factor. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll get a client that comes in that's been um, referred by uh, maybe a spouse and they come in and I think, you know, Robert, I know I have to. Uh, to work on this, I can think of uh, um, a client again. I won't share names, but uh, I'll call him John. And uh, he comes in as a, a CEO of a major, major corporation. You know, forty, fifty million dollar um, deals <laughs> on the table per time. Huge, huge money. And um, he comes in, and uh, he, he wasn't really sold on the process just yet because uh, his wife wanted him to to work on on his anger issues. He was blowing up left, right, and center on you know, people that uh, really don't deserve it. You know, hopping in a cab and cab turns left instead of right, and he'll scream at the person. And he said, Robert, I'm just, 
I don't want to be this angry guy. Uh, there's got to be something I can do. And you know what happens sometimes the the you know, the the fear of change, the fear of going through this process is a protective element. I know that I can uh, survive right now with this particular ailment, however bad it is, because I know it, I'm used to it. And, you know, at one point in time, that um, strategy would have been uh, adaptive. You know, maybe he needed to scream at somebody in order to protect himself, uh, which I actually found it was the case. And so this is the way that the brain falls into these um, patterns to control one's safety. And uh, eventually it doesn't work anymore. It just starts to fall apart. And that's where he was. So we we spent just a couple minutes talking. uh, There's a lot of what happens in the EMDR um, experience, as you'll know, isn't a lot of talking. It's a lot of processing. And uh, so we did this uh, particular protocol with him. Um, which is an avoidance protocol that comes from Jim Knight. And um, he, you know, we asked the question, which is counterintuitive, how much do you not want to focus on this problem and heal it? And the answer, of course, is, you know, zero to 10, zero being neutral and 10 being the highest amount of, uh, of resistance. It was a 10. And so we do something called bilateral stimulation, which is, it looks really weird. Um, it's, you know, we're moving my hand back and forth in front of his face, or if you're on online, it's, it's falling a ball back and forth. And uh, really, really quickly, within minutes, the the resistance, the avoidance uh, gets down to zero. And he says, okay, I'm ready to do this. Let's go. And just like that, we're off to the races. Emily from New York, she is asking, are there any problems after treatment is done? Good question. Thanks, Emily. Um, Yeah, so I would answer that by, uh, I'm assuming that by problems, you mean side effects. Um, And if that's the case, uh, no, there's no side effects particularly um, of concern, but um, th- this, th- th- I should say this, that when you're going through a processing session, uh, prototypically uh, in the EMDR world, it's about 60 minutes or 90 minutes per session, um, what I call pay-as-you-go therapy, uh, once a week, every other week, something like that. I do it over the course of a weekend, um, so mine's quite a bit different, but after a, a session, um, the brain is processing at an accelerated rate, way, way uh, faster than normal, even though that's organic, nothing abnormal happening in the brain. But the brain is still processing at a rapid speed because there's no blockages in those particular neural networks. So the person may end up having some physiological symptoms um, as they bring up new material to be processed in a future session so that could be stomach aches, nausea, something like that. Headaches are common. Um, and uh, disturbed sleep, nightmares, dreams are possible. Um, and that's because the brain's ready. It feels safe and, and able now to begin to kind of process this latent material that's been sitting there for who knows how long. Um, now, 
any good therapist is going to create a safe container for that person to be able to manage going deep. And I'm no different there. I create a container, a complex exercise, and a whole bunch of different exercises depending on what my client needs to be able to manage any types of distress that might come up after a session. So the client is well, well, well equipped to be able to handle um, at least putting that, that material away until the next session. So in that sense, there are very mild side effects. Sometimes it can be um, a little bit um, jarring if something comes up that you weren't expecting, but uh, the client would be braced ahead of time for that. And then the other, you know, the other problems that um, that I would mention that, as I said a little bit before, not exactly problems, but they could be major changes. You know, if you're if you're waking up and you're used to being this aggressive person, um, and you no longer feel aggressive or angry anymore, you now have an entirely new way of relating to the world. And that is a challenge that uh, usually it's embraced, but it's a challenge to now I have to reorganize, uh, reorient myself to my world. The way that I work is I prepare my client for that. And we have, you know, particular check-ins just to make sure um, that that's going smoothly mm-hmm. as I found that that's really needed. But uh, hopefully that answers the question for Emily there in New York. Autumn from Texas. She had wrote, I'm taking anti-anxiety meds. What do you recommend if someone wants a treatment while taking certain medications? And I don't, um, I'm going to say my question would be to add into that is, um, because you know, there's certain medications that are, uh, certain schedule three, two, or I don't know if, uh, what is it? if it's Buspar or something, I think Wellbutrin that they use sometimes as well. So um, if I can add into that, um, is there a difference, uh, you know, to add in what Autumn's asking if someone's doing EMDR, uh, if they are on certain controlled substances or certain substances that aren't considered like say a schedule three? Mm-hmm. Great question, Autumn, and you, Stephen. Um, and it is one that comes up pretty frequently. So uh, I have to preface what I'm saying now. I am not a medical doctor, so I can't give medical advice. So keep that in mind as well. But um, what I, lo- I love having this conversation with potential clients because um, many people are prescribed medications, and that's usually the first line of defense when somebody goes to the doctor. They think, oh, I got the stomach ache, and I'm anxious and okay, well, here's some medication. Um, so it just happens that a lot of people are on them. So um, there are some medications that you will quote unquote slow the process down a little bit. And those are anything that ends with pine or pan. Uh, those are the medications, but you can still do EMGR while on medications. In fact, I've had, you know, many, 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 many clients that have been on medication when I did it. And what happens is the brain is um, getting used to that particular culture with the medication um, linked in the neurological sequences, if I can put it that way. And um, when EMDR is introduced and the root cause of that anxiety or depression or whatever it is that this person is struggling with 
is no longer there. We've eliminated the root of the anxiety. The anxiety, guess what? It disappears. So the medication now is not treating what it used to treat. So the person will then feel either the medication's not working as well or the medication will change. And so this can be where you really want to have hands-on communication with the EMDR therapist and the doctor or a psychiatrist or whoever's prescribing the medication um, to just be able to um, titrate coming off of the medication if it's one of those meds that needs to do that. But eventually, when the person's uh, completely off medication, which is a great goal to have sometimes, um, what happens is we just need to go back and work on the same targets that we worked on before um, because when the medication is no longer in the system, the person will generally experience a little return of those symptoms. Um, and that's only because, um, you know, the, they were uh, healed. The EMDR happened with the medication in the brain. Uh, now, the, when, when I say return of the symptoms, we're not talking an 8, 9, 10 out of 10 in terms of distress. We're talking like 1, 2, 3 at the most. And then we just quickly, you know, sweep it away. We call this just sweeping the dust bunnies because there's just a little something there. And uh, before you know it, you're done. So, um, yeah, go on. No, go, go. I just took a breath. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I should take one too. So, um, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so that's, a, that's a, uh, a welcomed issue normally to have. But uh, when we get into, um, really, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but um, when you're talking your bipolars and major depression, when um, you're experiencing um, some drastic mood shifts, uh, there is an entire protocol that we use to balance somebody on that medication. So the rule of thumb is don't start EMDR therapy until three months after um, being on your medication so that your body has time to get used to it. And then um, you can proceed with caution as you go from there. But I've had a lot of people that have been able to just, you know, stop their medication, of course, with doctors uh, involved because uh, they no longer need it. And one of the examples of, of, of this uh, concept is, is if you've ever been at a party um, and, uh, you know, you've, you've been drinking and, uh, I can say this, right, Steven, there's other kids listening. Uh, you're fine. You're good. Okay. 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 Great. So, um, you know, if you're at a party and, uh, you know, you're, you've had a couple of drinks and you, you weren't really expecting to stay long and then you have a couple too many and man, you know, I, I should really should probably put my keys away. I, it's not safe to drive. So you give your keys uh, to the host and the host puts them away in, in a spot and you know where it is. That's great. So then you uh, have a conversation, you have a couple uh, glasses of water, maybe you have a bit of a nap and then pretty soon you're feeling fine. You think, okay, you know what? I'm totally sober now. I'm, I'm, I'm okay to drive. So then you look for your keys and you can't find them anymore. And then you're like, where are my keys? You're looking everywhere for your keys. So then you decide, well, you know what? I guess I can't go home anyway. I might as well have another drink. So then you have another drink, and now you start to feel intoxicated again, and instantly, bam, you remember where the keys are. That's because the memory was stored during the state of being intoxicated. So medication is the same way that the memories are stored and processed while 
under the influence of that particular medication. And so um, we'll just have to be careful as to how we, we work for this. So hopefully that's, that's, um, that's a long-winded answer to your question, uh, Autumn, but uh, it is, it's absolutely possible. I'm going to read a testimony here. Uh, this is from one of your clients. Um, I was experiencing trauma from the loss of my mother who suffered from a devastating illness as well as other difficult life events. It had been going on for over 10 years. I was experiencing frequent nightmares, which left me waking up feeling distraught and almost reliving the grief. I thoroughly enjoyed my experience of working with Robert. After failed attempts at traditional talk therapy, I felt a little apprehensive about trying EMDR. However, one hour into treatment and I knew it was the right decision. Robert made me feel at ease and comfortable throughout the entire process of going through difficult life events and reprocessing the memories. When I left Robert's office, I instantly felt as though um, progress had been made. Since then, I have not experienced any nightmares and I genuinely believe that I have gained a greater insight and understanding into my inner self. Robert is an expert in his field. I wouldn't hesitate to recommend him to others. Facing our problems is never easy, but Robert simplifies the process of working through trauma. Working with Robert is an it, working with Robert is an investment in your mental health, and that, in my opinion, is a hundred percent worthwhile. Uh, I love hearing those testimonials. Uh, it was just for me working with with my clients. It's such a gift. It's an honor, um, and. Uh, to, to be able to go to those depths with somebody and, and work it through. It really doesn't have to be hard. That's the thing that I tell a lot of people is it does, it's, it's, it's not going to feel pretty. Obviously we're going to be looking at and pulling up some trauma. Um, but it doesn't have to, to, to be a horrible, painful experience where, um, you feel like, you know, you're still trapped. That's really what, um, a lot of people, I think, feel within their minds and their struggle is they're trapped. And um, it's a prison that, that you know, un- unless you break free of it, of those negative habits and patterns and trauma, um, it really does feel like a prison. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a process that, that is a lot quicker, uh, especially the way, the way that I've, I'm doing it now. It's, um, you, know, you just have to feel it one more time and then it's gone. And, you know, EMDR doesn't erase memories, so I'll put that out there, that you can't simply forget that your child has happened to you or forget that, uh, say, you were attacked or something like that. But um, you don't have to remember those experiences with that gut-wrenching, you know, knife-in-the-heart kind of a, a pain. Uh, it's just a fact. It just happened. And uh, a lot of people's depth of their... Um, consciousness, there, there, there's, it can be a spiritual awakening for many people, um, or a deepening or heightening, depending on how you want to put it. Um, but, uh, you'll understand oftentimes that, oh, there was a reason why I went through that trauma so that now I can do this now with my life. 
And um, that's one of the greatest gifts that of this entire process for me. Um, and uh, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Thanks for doing that. You're welcome. I'm going to do one more uh, question. So this is Justin from Los Angeles. Uh, he wrote, uh, to Stephen's point, you do have to be ready when you're looking for the right help. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I've been told that our mind's chemical changes due to addiction. What would this do for someone like me? That's a great question. Great question. Um, you know, I, uh, I will answer this by stating that I believe that beliefs are the most powerful um, weapon or resource at our disposal. So I'll put it that way, it's a double-edged sword. Um, if somebody believes that they are not going to be able to be helped because of something, well, guess what? That's what's going to happen. But if um, somebody has um, experienced addiction and really, you know, I know what addiction's like to be very blunt. I've struggled with it since I was uh, very young with video games and TV and sugar um, and then I went into uh, um, pornography when I discovered it and, and drugs and alcohol. So um, I know what it's like to struggle with, with addiction. And for a lot of people, um, I my perspective on, on addiction is that um, you're, you will get what you need out of it. Um, the long answer is that um, if you've been prescribing or using the belief system that um, addiction is a, uh, a disease or an illness, then that is a particular um, path you'll go down. Um, and what I'm, what I'm referencing that is the powerlessness element. If you believe that you are powerless to heal um, an addiction, then that's the first rung of the ladder. We have to work on that because you can't change anything in your life if you remain powerless. It just doesn't make any sense. You can't climb the ladder if we have no strength. So you have to work on that belief first that I am powerless. Now, provided you've done that, then you are, you know, it's an easy process to be to fairly simple. Um, there may be more or less, um, aspects to work on, but addiction is one of the very interesting, it's a little bit different than some of the other issues that we deal with in EMDR, but, um, we actually get addicted to not just the chemical changes and the chemical experience of the, uh, substance or even the behavior, of course, talking dopamine and, and, and everything else that's happening in the brain. Um, but we actually get addicted to the positive feeling that comes from the behavior. So nobody, nobody really wakes up and they're like, that's ah, today I'm going to be addicted to heroin or today's a good day to become an alcoholic. Nobody ever does that. It's the addiction to the positive feeling that we become addicted to. So what we have to do with the EMD, in, with EMDR is we have to unlink the positive feeling in relation to that particular substance. Now, if, you, if somebody's been in recovery for a long time uh, or even very short, I'll, I'll mention, hey, uh, there's a chance that you'll feel urges again to use or go and do the behavior. And uh, we work through that and make sure that's really safe too. Uh, but then the, uh, so once the positive feeling is unlinked, then, uh, and I should say, 
it's not that you can't feel these positive feelings anymore. Uh, it's just you don't need the behavior to feel that. So you can feel joy. You can feel in control by being with your kids or meditating or going for a run uh, instead of using. So that's the first step. And then after that, we go underneath. What is the real cause of the addiction? Why did you get started in the first place? Why did you decide to start shopping uh, every day? Or why did you go gambling? Or why did you start using? And underlying that particular um, positive feeling that you needed to feel is a negative feeling, uh, a distressing experience, a trauma that was under there, or several traumas that were under there. But it's always a negative belief. It could be something like, I'm out of control, I'm in danger, I'm not safe, I don't deserve love, I'm worthless. I'm a failure. These are all horrible feelings to have this in your mind. These are painful experiences. Um, and we want to get away from that as soon as possible. So we're all hedonistic um, people for, for the most part that we generally want to move away from pain and move towards pleasure. So we're, uh, once we unlink positive, we go into the trauma, we eliminate the traumatic memories from the person's um, uh, grips that they're, they're stuck with. Uh, and again, they don't forget that something happened to them or sometimes it's, it's, it's not a clear thing that happened. It could be um, an abusive, uh, emotionally abusive environment that someone's in and they don't can't really put their finger on the trauma. I get that a lot. Um, Robert, I, I didn't have any traumas in my life. So how am I, why am I an addict? I don't understand. And um, so I'll share, that's not something specific that has happened to you. It could be a whole lot of things. Like I was bullied for many, many years of my childhood. I was never really beat up, but I was called short, fat with glasses um, pretty much every day of my childhood. And um, over time, it becomes my identity. And I started to, 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 to run with that. That's who I am, just short, fat with glasses. And uh, that was traumatic. And of course, I had some other traumas as well, like that. Um, so just uh, just that as a side note, but uh, yes, EMDR can be very, very, very effective with uh, with EMDR uh, with addiction. And uh, if there's some sort of a chemical um, requirement, um, like say methadone or something like that, where you have to take, um, I recommend, of course, again consulting your doctor. Make sure that it's, it's uh, there's some uh, validation for you from the medical industry if that's the case to uh, do in conjunction with EMDR, but uh, hopefully that answers the question. In our last meeting, I remember that I had shared with you that I still felt as though my left brain was just over-processing, just, just too... And, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm just going to add in, you know, intense, like what was going on? So I knew what was happening and I want to, to bring you up to date a little bit too, to add in some, some more information from our, our last meeting is that I was aware of where the root came from. However, I was not tapping into the complete memories and this goes back to what we were discussing before. I also wasn't um, feeling ready. And I was thinking to myself, all right, why? And so I went back to those memories. And this was just recent. And even came to me today while I was sitting in my kitchen. And I, 
I eat breakfast and, you know, or have my coffee and stuff like that. And I just sit there in silence. Sometimes I'll have music on, but I normally sit in silence and just see what happens. So since our last meeting, um, I realized, you know, as an introvert, um, I'm sure you remember, you know, uh, I never moved fast enough as a kid. And when you're living with addicts, they are always on the run. And you, and I know you remember this, Robert, I always told you, I always had my shoes on. There were times that my mother required me to keep my shoes on in case she Mm -hmm. needed to go get drugs or go to a bar or now whatever was going on. I rarely had my shoes off. And it got to a point to where um, my family, especially my stepdad, I was started, uh, people don't realize when you're a real introvert, a really, really pure form of an introvert. Now, even though we we all have introvert and extrovert as part of who we are. Because of the environment that I was living in, and these these are things I was just processing recently or going over in my memories, is that you shut down when you're growing up and raised um, in a, a traumatic environment. So it really digressed me to where I didn't know how to be assertive. I didn't know how to be aggressive. I was too scared to show that strength to my family because I thought it would lead into violent beatings, uh, you know, more neglect. So I allowed myself, and I'm going to share something that I I don't believe I did share with you before. Um, I allowed myself to, to shut down and, you know, there were times I wasn't allowed to talk. I was hit if I spoke at a turn. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't allowed to ask questions And what was very interesting is that, and even as I'm processing and sharing this with you now, is the reason why my left side of my brain at times gets overworked is I have this um, fear and also belief that if I don't move fast enough, if I don't stay active internally, externally to constantly be in fight or flight, to be aware. When you're a child, you don't think of fight or flight, but to be aware and ready to go, you're constantly in fight or flight. And that's the biggest thing that I'm going to say since our last meeting is that it's just a program. And especially during this time and these are decisions that I make is that my career is not moving fast enough or my client's career is not moving fast enough. When all that got into order, things were subsiding. Then the pandemic hit and now things are getting shut down. And that threw me for a big mind fuck loop because I'm like, um, instead of things taking its time and processing, now we've got mayors and governors. And you can't go anywhere. You can't don't do anything. And when you when coming from the background that I came from where I always had to be ready to go and I did not know any other way of life, then <laughs> the kick in the ass when I was adopted, my dad was in the military. So I went from one needing to be on a go, never trusting my environment, never knowing how long I'm going to be living in one place, never knowing how long or how committed I can be in my relationships because there was always going to be a move. 
And not only was there always a move, Robert, with my biological family as well, but now I was adopted into a family and now we are moving all over the place. And I didn't know, should I trust relationships? Should I trust and even bother to build fruitful relationships with friends and peers? And I shut down again. And I became very self-absorbed in a way that I realized what is the point? I'm going to get hurt over and over and over again. And after leaving my best friend, um, you know, in New Jersey and going through that, uh, the trauma of the state taking me out and then being taken away from the only thing I ever knew when we left the Northeast, um, I became very angry, very resentful against the, the military not the people of it, but the system of it. My mom did as well. She struggled with depression of it. And I just realized that the reason why it's still with me and, you know, working in the entertainment industry, you are still traveling all over the place. I had moved eight times in <clears throat> six years. And it wasn't until, and I also being bi-coastal, having a home here on the East Coast, having a home on the West Coast. And I realized, and even as I'm sharing with this with you now, um, and adding to it, is that I did not give myself permission. But more importantly, Robert, I did not trust. And I'm still in that space of, am I going to have to pack up and move again? Where am I going to go? And I've relied on, um, and I even have, I've got boxes in my attic and I saved boxes because just in case if I have to move again or something happens, because I don't want to bother going to a store, especially during a pandemic, how easy is it going to be for me to get moving boxes? And so with that, it hasn't clicked. It, let me rephrase. It has recently clicked to start allowing myself to believe and to trust and to have faith that whatever God, the universe, or I decide to do, wherever my career brings me, wherever my clients need me, I don't, let me rephrase, I can choose to allow myself to be very present. It used to annoy me when people say that because I'm like, what the fuck does it mean to be present? I don't didn't know <laughs> how to be present. Who the fuck? We, yeah. we live in a world in a system where you can't be present. You're not told. You, you've got to be on the go. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Social media is another mind fuck that, that ended up encouraging it. So I started getting mm-hmm. rid of boxes. I'm putting them out in recycling. I started staying less off of being online. I got an assistant to help with more work to help balance out by handling the emails or the uh, messages online and things like that. And it helped ease to let go. But that's where I'm at. And I'm going to be honest with you. As I know, I want to go into another uh, session with you. Um, and what that stress has done is it caused the, you know, I for years and doctors assumed it was IBS that I have, but it wasn't. I ended up um, 
getting um uh what is what is that um oh god not ibs um you would think i would know uh it's uh hold on where is it that i got <laughs> i have it and i forgot it and you know what i like that i forgot it because i feel like that's my brain telling me i'm not owned by it anymore um yeah. gastritis thank you so i am because right. my because my brain is like go 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 kept me in fight or flight or stress now, not bad. I just got done with the endoscopy and colonoscopy, Robert. They're very, mm-hmm. very happy of how things turned out. But it's the fact okay. to where until I truly allow myself to trust where I'm at and to know that I'm not going to fear losing my home, giving up my home, all of that, like I had spent my entire life with both of my families, that's when I feel that. I will end up trusting again and letting go of that. You got to go, got to go, got to go, got to be on a move. Make sure you got those boxes. Make sure you keep your shoes on. Make sure. And so, uh, so when you and I, you know, were to do this again, if it doesn't resolve on its own, we'll see where it goes. But I just want to let you know that that's, that's where it's at. And, um, to go back to what I said before, you have to be ready. And I prayed about it, and I and I I thought and felt that I was ready until you know I still like to drink coffee because it gives me, or even if it's decaf, because that taste reminds me and gives me that feeling that I'm productive. Um, I still like to walk around my house sometimes with shoes on because I just feel so excited. The day feels great, and I just want to have a place to go. But now because of the pandemic, it's like where do, where is it to go? So it's like this was the third catalyst, and when they say things in three. I'm so happy that this is going to be, and I'm looking forward to that. This pandemic is the last transition in helping me to learn, to let go, to allow that introvert to not be scared anymore, to feel like I need to shut down because either something or someone, or even if it's myself needs to be ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Oh. Steven, thank you for sharing all of that. And, you know, I would, I would have jumped in with the gastritis, but I don't like to share anything that past client without, without you saying it first. So, um, Steven, you're talking about, you know, there's a lot in there. And I want to comment on, on as much as I can. Um, the, I love, I'm so happy to hear that you're going through that process of, of uh, eliminating boxes and uh, the behavioral component uh, to show yourself that in fact you know you're okay, uh, you are uh, in control on your own, you can trust, etc. Um, and, and you know, so what? So what's happening in the brain there is that um, we all have that that you know until it's healed and processed, we have this negative uh, neural neurological sequence that's designed to keep us safe. So you earn you learned early on in your life that. Um, Unless you're moving, you're not safe. Mm-hmm. Unless you're moving, you're not safe. And so, uh, putting having those shoes on, where uh, you know that was that was you being in control, always ready. And so, you know, my mind goes to now as you're saying, you're sharing this that uh, in in the you know by by uh, always wanting to move forward, you're feeling in control. 
And that's a theme that, you know, many people have, you know, that's one of the main, you know, this is something that the pandemic has changed and put into focus for just about everybody on the planet right now is uh, the need for self-control um, because that's what you know, everybody's feeling powerless uh, for many of us are feeling powerless. Um, and uh, there is this threat of death, right? Obviously pandemic is no joke. Um, and so it, it's this two elements, powerlessness and the fear of, of death or illness or something you know, dangerous happening, that is a traumatic trigger. And instantly it's going to unlock that neurological network that's related to any past traumas that have to do with that particular type of feeling of powerlessness or out of control or in danger. Um, and then highlight that belief system that unless I'm moving, I'm not safe or I'm in danger. And, you know, you, at the very early on in your life, you'll, you'll see that that actually was a positive, you know, if I put quote unquote positive um, coping strategy that you, you just weren't ready. You had to be. And, you know, for many people, they have their own uh, type of readiness. It could be hanging out with friends. It could be um, working late. It could be uh, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, that's putting it in the forefront now for people to be able to work on it. So there is a positive element to the pandemic, aside from it being, you know, a very serious uh, situation, a global traumatic incident for everybody. Um, but I'm really happy that, that you're moving in this direction. So what's happening with putting the boxes away, I would guess, here is that you're building that positive neural network that is showing your brain the opposite is true, that I can trust myself, that I can, um, you know, I'll be okay on my own, I can manage it, um, and, and I can begin to trust others. And I think that that's one of, you know, a, a major theme that you know, many celebrities um, have to experience as they go through the path of, of uh, you know, getting to Hollywood or getting to um, a, an A-list level is you can't do it on your own. You have to trust other people, um, whether that be a, a wonderful PR a uh, person like yourself or, or some other type of manager, or it, it takes, it really does take a team to, to make it. Um, of course, lightning can strike in a bottle and then, but eventually you're on the platform and then um, you have to trust others and you hear about um, the need for control for so many celebrities. They, they like things a certain particular way. Um, it could be how they're spoken to, who speaks to them, you know, how their breakfast is made even. Uh, and that's all about keeping control. Because uh, underneath of that is fear, and um, you know the you know the complete opposite, the the bomb, if you will, for for the belief system is uh, you know is that you know, I'm okay even if I'm not moving. I can I'm okay if I'm at present, if I'm at peace, and I'm at rest. I am safe. Mm -hmm. You know, and that sounds simple, but it's not if you've experienced trauma, if you've had to move around a lot, and as a child, what you're sharing is. You know, there is the one that was the negative type of how always having to move around. Um, so your brain locked in this positive, well, this coping strategy, I should say, um, that moving around was your safety mechanism. And uh, then when you when you moved and, and uh, you said your father was in the military, right? So have to constantly move from there. That was a validation from your life that, yep, yep, that belief system is true. So it didn't just lock it in even further. So those are the types of experiences that lots of people will have, not yours exactly, but um, they will be experiences that validate the negative belief 
So it, it really feels true, you know, like my negative belief when I was growing up was that I wasn't worthy of love. And when, amongst others, and when I um, grew up and uh, into my uh, adolescence and teen years, and I was called short fat with classes, um, that was validation that, yep, not worthy of love, clearly. And I would ask the girl out on a date, and she'd say, no, yep, she's not worthy of love. And so then it becomes validation for me. And then, you know, it's a coping strategy was to, well, I don't need people then. I'll just do it on my own. I don't need them to be in love or, uh, or I went the opposite way and became, um, even more so promiscuous, um, and, and so on. So, uh, at the basis, our brains are just trying to keep us alive and survive. Um, but you're noticing that as you're going deeper and life events will happen where we'll be triggered to go deeper. And it's an opportunity, it's a choice. Do I want to fix this now? Um, and, and, you know, sometimes it's the body that shows you, hey, there's a problem here. We have to listen to it. Um, and so yours is a gastritis. And you, it sounds like you probably writ, writ it off as IBS your whole life. And you find out something worse. And, um, you know, I've had so many clients that come in with you know, ulcers or um, they've had um, um, strange lesions or back pain or something like that that show up on their body uh, and that they're feeling within their body. And uh, it's all stress-related. You know, emotions are felt in the body. And so oftentimes it's the body that shows us that there's a problem. Um, until we become conscious of it, you know, we're at the body's mercy. And then we can, um, obviously, you can go through the medical route and, and heal the body. Um, and sometimes that works enough to change the mindset. But, um, you know, the faster route, is, in my opinion, is to go through the mind um, and, and do it in a holistic fashion. So then doing some meditation or something like that as well um, to show you how safe you are and that you're in control and all of that. And that's exactly where where you hit the points on where the gastritis was coming in and everything because I wasn't changing the behaviors. I was keeping the boxes. I, you know, was, you know, drinking the, you know, grande, you know, Starbucks coffee. And I do like the taste of coffee in all honesty. Um, so good. So good. <laughs> uh, and my mom, yeah. she used to love coffee ice cream. So I used to hate it and then I end up loving it, but it really is. It's, it's where I got stuck, where the gastritis came back. Um, cause I've had it on and off. Once again, we always, my doctors and stuff never was tested until now assumed it was IBS, but it, you know, both can have symptoms. Um, in similarity, I didn't have a new program. I didn't have a new way of life, a new way of being. It was always in my belief system. It was always, uh, in the environment and, and even in my own self-worth, you know, like I said, if I'm not on the go, I'm not productive. If I'm not on the go and on a move, I'm wasting my time, wasting my day. I'm not being resourceful. I'm not being resourceful for someone else. My val I'm not being valuable. I'm not exactly. I'm stuck not being able to show my value. So it's all of those things. And what I'm happy about is to understand the root of the problem. Now it's creating those trusting memories, trusting programs, trusting behavior patterns by doing certain things, no matter how big or small, to just be able to do it and do it in a way like myself, you know, I always like I stopped drinking coffee every single day. Now I'm going to work to drink it not at all if need be because it doesn't even the decaf Robert doesn't contribute at times 
especially if I'm in fight or flight mode. But all of these things, my body is gen gently and lovingly letting me know that I'm not in homeostasis. I'm not in balance. And, um, with that, I said to my doctor, I'm just really, 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 really happy. Um, uh, you know, with that, my cholesterol went up. Um, uh, I end up getting it dropped down 22 points. Very happy about that. But, you know, during a pandemic, I was stress eating. So as you yeah. know, the cholesterol is supposed to be like 100 or below. I went, uh, you know, went over 200. Now I'm down to 199. But it is all because not of portions, but I was eating a little bit more than what I normally would. Um, mm -hmm. So with that, the best thing that is happening and what I've gotten out of this pandemic is facing the truth of myself and hidden uh, behavior and behavior patterns and mindsets that normally I allowed life to distract me from. And it was very suppressed and, and very subconscious. But now everything is coming to light. Like these are changes that need to be made because these were things that were not supposed to be with me. They ended up because I, I allowed it. I chose to. And now I'm choosing to reverse the the programming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about, you know, what uh, at least what I think about with us human beings, uh, we started off, off as in our earliest evolution as nomadic creatures. We're supposed to move around. It, it's normal for us. And, of course, having a home base feels secure. Um, so we're supposed to be able to change. We're supposed to be able to move and adapt and, you know, let go of things that don't work. In fact, our brains are wired for that exact purpose. You know, memory isn't always solid. Every time you bring something up into your memory, you're slightly changing it. Uh, and that's for the purpose of surviving, you know, that you don't need to worry about, uh, you know, um, tigers in, in the in the Arctic because they're not here. Right? Okay, I don't need to worry about that anymore. And then you go, you know, you, you learn something else. So, you know, you're creating that positive neural network now in your brain that's allowing you to move things away. And I, I was just so happy to hear that that you're moving in this direction. This is wonderful news. Um, and and I'm, you know, I'm, I can't wait to hear more of how it unfolds for you. Thank you. And to add to that, Robert, uh, Yahoo Finance uh, is having an article that um, will should be getting published this month. My team is uh, and representative is working on that right now. Uh, they're in final stages of putting it together. What I had written and to add into what you what you were sharing is it's all about allies. And when you think of where we are at hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, and really looking at this is, you know, let's say if it's caveman days, you know, your allies were your tribe, your allies were, mm -hmm. um, uh, who's going to be there to hunt, cook, take care of the children. It, you know, uh, building shelter for climate changes, possibly moving to different territory to build, to grow, uh, to have better resources of food, cultivating, uh, water, uh, you know, all of that stuff, uh, safety and security. And as you, you know, I was thinking of this, you know, recently and what I really wanted to put into the information for people is we went into being allies, being an ally for ourselves and allies for each other for 
survival and for thriving in a very, very natural human being way. Now we are in a different way of how we look at allies. Instead of it being community, instead of it being very inclusive, uh, I'm going to uh, read something here is that, um, uh, that, you know, is going into this article. I'm looking forward to seeing what the, the final write-up is going to be, but where I'm referencing and its importance is I'm hired to review and assess and implement strategy of allies and their intentions to own and operate businesses and independently utilizing the layout of these assets that are in a form of trust, influence, leverage, control, territory, intel, and power. And where we are at in today's climate and and lifetime is the idea of power and or empowerment to benefit community, to benefit resources, to benefit future generations, and to cultivate uh, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, uh, you know, um, geographically, environmental. Um, it's gone and gotten itself into a shithole of being very narcissistic, self-absorbed, and, uh, you know, people bitch about millennials and young generation, but remember where they came from. And they're living, I think, in more of a stressful climate and world than, than you know, uh, you know, our generation. So with that being mm-hmm. said, you know, and this is what I've learned from having family members in law enforcement, family members in military. Um, it happens in real estate. When you think of allies, you've got two areas. Um, uh, let me see here. Do I want to go on? I don't want to spill too much. Um, Every person in business is seeking advancement. People in the entertainment and music industry want to be successful and to be the next biggest star. To simply put, I give objective assessments in all matters that relate to obtaining reliable and suitable business acquisition, understanding its function, its relationship, and how to strongly advance years forward. So I, you know, what I do is I go into finding out why does a person, and in a different way from you, I've taken the, the, also the area of being a counselor and I've put it into business and I break down, um, in an opposite area from what you're doing. Cause you know, you're working a very personal way, but covering to where it does, Robert, you're helping people personally, but it translates into their relationships, their marriages, their children, their business, all of that. For mm-hmm. for me, what I'm doing is I'm basically saying simply understand whether I'm doing it or you're doing it. Here are the tools. This is what human beings are doing in today's age. If you want to know why uh, the government, which is a big hua and it's been a problem forever and there's no excuse over, and I'm not going to go too deep into this. But I do want to reference where all the similarity is at, especially with what's happening right now in 2021, is government is using your tax dollars to for with their allies to build trust, to build, uh, uh, to help with influence, to be able to acquire intel to leverage that intel to obtain power and control in order to take over territory. 
territory can be housing development, property. Uh, it can be pharmaceutical. It can be uh, stocks. It can be landscapes. Uh, it can be even in the entertainment industry. You know, when you think about companies, it can be in food and beverage. It can be into music and entertainment. It's all about what does the person want to own? What does the company want to own? And I go in there and I just dissect the psychological aspect is to find out, are they wanting to own and or also be a leader for themselves and their own gratification? Or is this empire, is this business, is this way of thriving or surviving for the collective? And that's the biggest problem that where I'm coming out and where I'm educating people is that we really need to look at, and it's very simple to understand someone's intentions. Is it for them or is it for everyone? And you can easily tell when it's for them because when one community hears it, Please, in neon lighting to everyone who's got common sense and who will hear this show years from now, when it is one way and there is suffering, there is a loss of voice, there is a loss of independence, there's a loss of um, autonomy, there's a someone is stealing and robbing to be powerful, to take control, to take ownership over you, your property, your business, your people, your community, your heritage, your lineage, everything. So while we are all here and where you are so desperately needed um, as well, Robert, while we are all here during this climate, and it's going to go on for a while, it's, it's far from done. When you look at how America... And, and, and these are things that come up in conversation, especially online. When you look at the fact, and, 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 and when I'm done, take the mic, you know, and if you want to, Robert, share, it's up to you. How the United States was formed by, by uh, people coming here. People are all on the, the term terrorists. What about the terrorists? The indigenous founders of the United States that came here raped women and children, murdered the indigenous people of this land, all for influence, leverage, control, power, and territory. What about the Afri- the, the, uh, the Africans? I'm not going to say African-Americans. Because they came here through force. The Africans, the black community that were raped, robbed, stolen, and forced into slavery. What is the real meaning for the Statue of Liberty? Because it's got nothing to do with the white people. It's got nothing to do with the United States. It has to do with the freedoms and reconciliations for the black community. The Statue of Liberty is originally a black woman. Why is she white? Why is she perceived to be white? Why is the original statue of the Statue of Liberty not easily found 
You got to go on Google and research what the original Statue of Liberty looks like. Why isn't she in New York City? Why was Betty Boop, whose original black cartoon character, changed to white? Until the community, the masses, and the people collectively come together and stop shellacking and whitewashing and creating a Walt Disney fairy tale movie and sweeping shit underneath the carpet by their version of what pretty sophistication and society will be. The wars, the uprising, the terrorism, local, foreign, and domestic will stop. Why is it that foreign countries have not given us as United States citizens foreign aid during times of the HIV outbreak? Why haven't the United States citizens received foreign aid for 9-11? Why haven't the United States citizens received foreign aid for covid Yet hundreds of millions and billions of dollars are going to other countries. And yet there are people across the world that are starving. There is major problems here in our country that are unresolved and disease. All because the United States. What is it looking for? What problem is it trying to really solve when, when our people in our country are hurt, are starving, are sick in every single way? So because of someone like Robert Grigor, this is why he's called, you know, as with uh, Danette Kumbunda would say, the celebrity savior. But he's here not just to help celebrities. He's here to help everyone. And I am a proud American. And I'm a proud American of what America should be and what it should represent. And that's inclusiveness. That's love. That's respect for all territory and its people. So let's not forget from all the little paintbrushes and sparkle and glitter, exactly how something began. And until that behavior and problem is resolved, because if you look at our history books, it keeps popping up through every generation, here and there, until the problem is solved, there will be no real resolve. And we will continue to need people like Robert in this world, because eventually the suffering has got to stop. Robert is not in this for money. He's not in this for self-gratification. He's doing this because as he shared with you, there is a major problem that needs to be addressed. People are suffering. He went through it. He was very candid with you about what he went through, what his experience was like with substance and and other things that had happened in his life. He's very, very transparent with that. And he was transparent and and still transparent with me uh, to this day. So 
with that, your voice matters. Uh, how you feel matters. Do things in a very kind way, in a nonviolent way, because you're only going to feed them, feed the the people that want to take control and power. You're only going to give them more. You're only going to prove their point of why there needs to be more laws, more restriction, more oppression, more suppression. It's not going to stop. Find mm -hmm. a way to get the resolve. Your thoughts, Robert? Uh, I, what, everything that you said is amazing. Um, when, you know, are you thinking about what you're pointing the finger at a problem that you see with the world and uh, and your country? And uh, I'm going to say it this way: that until you know what the problem is, you can't really change it, right? Uh, which is a theme in this whole uh, conversation. And in order to really create the type of community that's required to be successful in any way, shape, or form, um, you know, of, of merit, um, it, we need our, our brothers and sisters and uh, and whomever we need uh, our community and in order to have that type of uh, a dialogue that will create the community that we need and that in any business in any type of relationship we need safety we need to be able to develop trust and safety so that we can have the types of intimate conversations that we need in order to to really have a true ally and I think that's something that's been missing in uh in our world in many ways uh i'm not a historian so i can't really comment on dates and everything but we, we're talking about um creating a, a safe container for relationships to blossom and we need to be able to uh be authentic and we need to have people on uh on our side to, to do that to help us to um to prosper in, in many ways i know that you're doing this uh, in your career in many ways. And, um, it, you know, authenticity is, is really, I think that's the, that's the dark night right now that's coming through to us. Um, that I think is what's coming out of this pandemic and as people are becoming more and more aware of themselves and their, and their issues that they're facing inside. Um, authenticity is what is now selling. I have to say, that's what's popular, uh, and I'm, I love it. That's why I'm really positive about where we're going as a, as a human species. It's not just the, um, the, the people um, that have lots of followers or um, have lots of fans. It's our favorite, at least my favorite, are the stars the, uh, that are authentic. They're, they're open. They're sharing what's really going on for them, and I think that's what, what draws people into um, a lot of celebrities is they share um, that they, you know, struggled with a mental health. And there was a lot of um, mental health advocates in the celebrity world, like Lady Gaga, for example. Uh, she's created, you know, she's very open with her anxiety, shared it all over the place. She's created a foundation to help kids with theirs. Um, and you know, Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, Tanya West, Justin Bieber, Russell Brand, there's tons of people out there. Oprah has been um, open with their their struggles 
And that's what creates the, the container for somebody to connect on a human level because going back to the beginning of our conversation, we're all human. We all, you know, we all want the same thing. We want to feel safe. We want to feel um, that we matter. We want to know that we're worthy of love. And um, I think that's really what power is about at the core. It's not just to, you know, crush enemies or something like that. It's to keep safe. You know, if you think back to caveman days, if, if you were able to, to overpower uh, an enemy, you could ensure your safety. So we all want to be able to survive. Now, I think that um, there's a new kind of power that, that's beginning to, to be spread, and that's power of empathy. It's the power of being able to, um, to share space, to understand other people, to embrace other people, and, um, and love them for who they are. And uh, that's something that's really important. And, but it's very difficult in a lot of spheres, especially high-profile spheres, where authenticity, there's, there's so many different eyes on somebody um, that's being authentic. You know, you think about uh, in the celebrity world that, you know, put, putting the wrong tweet up to get... Um, you know, somebody's reputation that could be in question or, um, you know, the fear of being blacklisted or rejected by the community. There's that fear of belonging right there that, you know, we were talking when we were cave people and we're, you know, we relied on our tribe to survive. Um, and, you know, somebody can't work anymore because they said the wrong thing, offended the wrong powerful person. Um, and this is in any sphere of life. Then, you know, that fear of, of safety comes into play, that fear of rejection comes into play. And so people that go through a process where they're no longer worried about what other people think of them, obviously, um, you know, they're, they're careful with their words, but there's no fear inside that they're going to, you know, die or they're going to be in danger if they know, if they say the wrong thing or they're themselves. So I, I, I have a very positive perspective I believe that, you know, we are moving in the direction of, of creating um, containers and spaces. And I think your platform does that as well, Stephen, where uh, you're, you're creating a space for somebody to speak freely, as I'm doing right now, um, and um, to help people become aware of the problem so that we can collectively come together and, and heal them as a, as a global tribe. Um, that's the goal, not a not an American or a Canadian or an African. Uh, you know, we are we are global species. We're a global tribe, and so we need global solutions. Uh, but we have to start small. Sometimes we have to start with our immediate community, our relationships, um, and obviously it starts with yourself. So, uh, uh, thank you for sharing what you did, Stephen, and um, I, I, I love it. I'm re- replaying this and listening again. Thank you. And, and thank you for your, your valuable insight into that. And before I relate, um, read one more review by a Hollywood actress and her testimonial about working with Robert is I encourage every country in this world to stop looking at the United States for your resolve and leadership. You have your your country, you have your leaders, you have your people. Let us all be a reflection and positive influence for each other. 
You do not need the United States to bail you out of all your problems. You do not need the men and women of our military in your country to fight your battles. They, you know, they're here to protect America. That's what we always hear. Our military troops. Protecting America means their ass belongs in America to protect. Protecting America, and I have family in military and law enforcement. I know exactly what it's done to them and how they've come home to us, okay? They don't need to be in your country. Let us all find a way to learn from each other. Let us all, if one's going to be financially supportive, let us all be financially supportive of each other. All countries support each other. When one country is not universally being supportive, well, then that should be your... (laughs) Uh, logical awareness exactly that there's always going to be a problem. So the question is, is how can we be, if it's saying unilateral or, or, or uh, uh, unified together, how can we do that? Probably is unrealistic of a request, but once again, uh, our military, United States military troops is not doing anything for America. It's doing everything for the government, for power, Intel, leverage, control, resources, and allies. We don't belong in other countries. It's not our fight. It's not our battle. Okay? You don't need to rely on United States tax-paying money for, for, to, to support your stuff when we all know that you look at the United States as a bunch of fucking idiots. And you know what? You're somewhat not wrong. Especially with everything that's happening? Yeah. But why take money from the United States when you think the United States are a bunch of fucking idiots and are lazy and slovenly and everything else and you get angry when, when you know, U.S. citizens come to your country, which I don't blame you because there are times that, unite, that we as U.S. people, we're so accustomed to go wherever we want, where we want, and to think that... You know, life needs to stop for us. People need to change their ways the moment we walk in. Well, that's not reality. So I really hope with the changes that are happening in the world, figure out a way to help each other because Americans uh, need to focus the those that are you know, they're in power and position to help the community and the government of America. There's a lot of problems here that need to get resolved. And you're not doing anything for us. You're not helping curve or to dissolve the wars and the separation and everything else when your nose is in everyone else's business because you're too worried about the United States being number one then the United States is not number one when we have people coming from foreign countries over here and basically taking a shit and doing whatever they want because you're worried about let's build the, you know, being the most powerful and having the most money and everything else. They go back to their own countries and they do what they need to do. The United States is known as being uh, Las Vegas 
Come here, take a shit, do what you want, fuck around, do your fuck foolery, spend some cash, whatever like that, and then let everybody know, hey, we went to the United States. To tell foreigners who tell their people that they came to the United States is they're basically saying, and I have many, many friends in foreign countries, many, many good friends out there in Europe and Spain and Italy and France. To say that they came here to the United States is to say I went to fucking Walt Disney World or Great Adventure. That's nothing to be proud of. So uh, I'm passionate about that. It's a topic and something I feel that needs to be stayed on uh, because, uh, and I'm going to share this with you, Robert, I had spent years as a public relations representative and someone that helps with image reputation and all of that. You know, I was trained by corporate companies. I was trained through education and everything else. It's about preserving, but preserve to protect, not preserve to enlighten and to educate. And I'm now in a place to where I'm going to honestly say, and I've always been open and honest, but now I'm, I truly believe in my heart through the power of prayer and how God has touched me, how spirit has touched me is that I am not keeping my mouth shut because I'm worried about something. Uh, people know exactly who you're dealing with when you deal with Stephen Cuoco. There has never been a questioner or about that. The only thing of it is, is I've left working for corporate people and people that want to control and to disempower the masses. And with that being said, I value the younger generation. I am really proud of the millennials and Gen Z and emerging generations because they get it. They've learned from all of our generations of what works and what doesn't work. Stop bitching about them. They don't have a problem. If they have a problem, it's because of our generation of the shit they had to deal with in a world that they're living in. And can you blame them? Because I don't. And here's, here's something right here by a, by a Hollywood actress. I was looking for the right therapist to work with. During my stay in Vancouver, I Googled EMDR therapist in the Vancouver area and a lot of profiles came up. I chose to contact Robert and his words on his profile resonated with me. He wrote about healing inner conflict and awakening one's potential. (laughs) Boy, do we need that ever so more now, Robert. I had several very intense EMDR sessions with Robert while I was in Vancouver. He is very focused and doesn't lose sight of why I went to him. Before we started the work, he asked me about specific issues that I wanted to bring to awareness and we focused on those. He has the ability to read in between the lines, pick up important elements that I myself may not have been aware of. I would recommend Robert very highly for his professionalism, his focus, um, and dedication and the open-mindedness he brings to his work with his clients. Robert? Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, you know, I, again, I'm always so humbled to hear um, you know, other people's words of gratitude for the protest. Um, and... Uh, I'm all I'm just as grateful uh, for the opportunity to be able to help somebody to heal that inner conflict and to awaken their potential because that really is what this is. One, you know, I would say maybe the reason why we're here 
um, in many ways is to, is to heal the conflict that's in our world that we can uh, awaken the potential of our human species. Um, everything is a sort of a microcosm, a reflection of what's come before. And you're hearing about, you know, the, um, the, the current generation and then our next generation that, that uh, seeing what's been going uh, positively or negatively with the past generations, is, you know, that's how we adapt, that's how we evolve, that's how we grow. And, um, you know, you think about that as a reflection of the home environment, uh, child growing up, you see your parents, um, you know, your, their, their patterns of how they, their legacy of how they deal with life. And it's, it, it's you either go along with the same legacy and you continue to perpetuate um, whatever that is, if it's positive, fantastic, if it's negative, well, I guess you're harming the world. So um, being able to recognize what's, what's authentically helping the individual um, and in the world, but change has to start with the individual on the individual level, and then it can go into the, the national level. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really passionate about that because, um, you know, we have to know the direction that we truly want to lead in. Um, and then there, there has to be some sort of a, a unified perspective on that because if you're only doing it for yourself, if you're only succeeding or you want to be the, the richest person on the planet with, and have zero friends, zero connections, zero assets in the relational realm, then you're going to be a very lonely and, and depressed individual because we are a social species. So we need our, our allies. We need our, our community. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I feel really blessed and really honored to be part of this community with you, dear Stephen, and to be blessed with the community to be part of uh, with, with all those who seek my help. Before we close, Robert, uh, any final thoughts that you would like to give um, a shout out? Yeah, um, I would like to uh, first of all thank you for the interview, um, and uh, and I think one of the one of the things that, that I'm hoping for is that people will um, even if you don't want to work with me directly, I, I want you to look into EMDR. EMDR is one of the most powerful methods of, of working through something and it's finally some um, more celebrity awareness of helping EMDR to be um, seen in the mainstream. He's got some incredible people out there like Jamila Jamil, for example, who uh, went on an interview with Russell Brand to talk about her experience with EMDR, Evan Richard Wood, Maria Marino, now Beast, Spice Girl, God, I love her, I love her so much. Free um, Larson, that are coming. It's just the, the more people, the more the more uh, people that can get behind this snowball with EMDR, um, the better because that's going to change the way that you look at the world. It's going to change the way other people look at the world. And really, my 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 best marketers for EMDR are my clients that have gone through the process. So imagine more people can go through uh, my process a similar process. We're going to be able to, to shift the world. And there's uh, organizations out there in the EMDR Humanitarian Assistance Program, which are going around the world helping uh, after you know uh, devastating traumatic uh, natural uh, natural disasters. 
um, like the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, 9-11, um, all kinds of hurricanes throughout the world, uh, earthquakes. And these, these, this organization is a tremendous organization, the EMDR therapists that are kind of like doctors without borders, but the EMDR therapists, and they, they'll go and they'll help survivors of rape and natural disasters and poverty. And just in, So EMDR needs to spread like uh, you know, a positive wildfire. We need, we need people out there to look this up and to see if it's right for them. Um, I don't know of anything that's faster to awaken oneself to their own potential to love themselves and love the world. You're breaking up a little bit, Robert. Oh, sorry. How was that? that better? A uh, little bit. I'm getting some uh, a static. A little bit better? Okay, well, I, I'm about to wrap up anyway. I think that you know, EMDR being being the... Um, just that, that'll be a tool to help us build empathy on, on a world stage if we start with the individual. Exactly. And where can everyone find you, Robert? Uh, easily at my website, thecelebritysavior.com, um, and on all social media, I'm the Celebrity Savior. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Live on air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5 and the Celebrity Savior, Robert Grigor. I really hope you get a lot from this interview. Share it with your uh, friends and family. It will be uploaded onto Spotify and Apple and and all of those uh, podcast areas. Uh, This is not a podcast. It is a satellite radio show. But to help those that um, either... Uh, don't um, have immediate access because they're working, they're busy, they're taking care of the kids, traveling. Um, I I put this there for you so you can catch up on um, all your favorite people, um, on all your favorite topics and shows to cover um, of what we are discussing um, in news, in media, in sports, here and around the world. So from the U.S. to the U.K., you are live on air with Stephen Cuoco on Power 98.5. socials and let's connect.